1: The following podcast contains explicit language.
2: Welcome to "Mom and Dad Are Fighting," Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December fifth, the Home Alone edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Karen Feeding parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's six, and we live in Los Angeles, California.
1: I'm Dan Coys. I'm a writer and editor at Slate and the author of How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's fourteen, and Harper, who's twelve, and we live in Arlington, Virginia.
3: And I'm Katherine Goldstein. I am the creator and host of the Double Shift podcast, which is a show about a new generation of working mothers. And I live in Durham, North Carolina. I am the mom to Asher, who is almost four and a half. And I'm expecting twins in February.
2: Thank you so much for joining us, Catherine, And congratulations on the two new babies on the way. Thank you very much.
1: The third new baby, if you count the new season of the television, two. which is extremely good. Yes.
3: <laughs> do twins run in your family? Twins do not run in my family. I, I like to call it the plot twist of a lifetime here, <laughs> here <laughs> in our home in Durham, North Carolina. But um, yeah, I will definitely be talking a little bit more about my new role and identity as a twin mom in our Triumphs and Fails and in our Slate Plus segment. So you're going to get some good twin talk from me. I cannot wait.
2: Cannot wait to hear that. Okay, so today on the show, we've got a question about surviving family visits, which is very appropriate during the holiday season. So our second question actually comes from our Facebook group this week. We got a neighbor who is concerned about the safety of the kids next door. We want to know, guys, is it okay to leave the kids in charge when you and your partner decide to go, mm, let's say, to Aruba? We'll also be doing triumphs and fails and recommendations, as we always do. So let's start with triumphs and fails. Dan, are you winning or losing at parenting this week?
1: Uh, I have a triumph to share this week, um, but I must confess, uh, to begin with, that it is not my triumph. (laughs) I'm co-opting my wife's triumph (laughs) this week because I'm so impressed by her genius and this idea she came up with. I want to share it with everyone. So this Thanksgiving at our house, we hosted... A bunch of folks. We had our kids, as always, and but we also had my mom, Ali's mom, and my brother. So we sort of had an interesting mix of people. You know, one problem with a group like that, as I think many people have, you're not always necessarily worried that people are going to like erupt into arguments at the dinner table, but you do want to keep the kids engaged in a conversation at the dinner table mm-hmm. if they're old enough that they could contribute, right? You want mm-hmm. them to not be bored and to not be rude to your guests. You want them to participate. And it's nice on Thanksgiving to sort of keep the conversation, if possible, revolving around the actual reason for the holiday. So Ali wanted to figure out some activity we could do at the dinner table, some conversation we could do that would keep the kids engaged and that would focus on thankfulness. So she had this genius idea, which is what I have been thinking of as the thanks box. She took a shoebox and she made Lyra decorate it on Thanksgiving morning once she had run out of screen time. So Lyra, like, made cards with funny thanksgiving things on them and taped them all over it. And then she gave everyone index cards and made everyone, all seven of us, write down on the index cards not things that you're thankful for, but categories, categories of things you could be thankful for. So what you ended up writing on the card was a blank you're thankful for, like a friend you're thankful for, or a fictional character you're thankful for, or something triangular that you're thankful for. (laughs) And then during Thanksgiving dinner, once everyone had gotten their plates and we sat down at the table and we'd said grace and everything, we would each pull out a card and you'd read it. And then we would go around the table with everyone saying, like an article of clothing that you're thankful for. And it was really great. It was fun. I learned a lot about my mom and my brother and my mother-in-law and the kids were not like horribly bored, and I le- I just liked this idea as like a continuing tradition. This thanks box that we would do every year. We actually, as the weekend went on, every time we would end up at the table eating uh, leftover Ritos, our standard Thanksgiving leftover preparation. Uh-huh. We would bring the the box back out, and we would take out a few more cards and say a few more things we were thankful for. So it's like a really simple idea that I think Ali was very worried everyone would scoff at, mm-hmm. but. People bought into it, and it was great. I loved it. Great job, Alia. Great triumph, me, for marrying her.
2: That is, a yes, great triumph to you for not only marrying her, but sustaining the marriage. Uh, how long?
1: Uh, 21 years, baby. Wow. That is
2: very impressive. Somebody who could come up with an idea like that, that for 21 years you've managed to keep her happy, is very impressive.
1: So Thank you. This is Thank your you triumph.
2: This is your triumph.
1: I mean, it's obviously the actual triumph of my entire life. I can't do that every week.
2: (laughs) Very good, Dan. What about you, Catherine? Do you have a triumph or a fail? There's no such thing as failing while you're carrying twins.
3: Everything you do is okay. (laughs) All right. Okay. I do have uh, a triumph. Um, as you know, so Dan sometimes says like a failure is just paving the way for a future triumph. This is probably a triumph triumph paving the way for a future failure, (laughs) but I'm definitely, I'm just going to call it a triumph right now. So one thing that I have been really worried about was, um, telling our son who's four about the coming twins. And Mm. I really obsessed about it. And I don't usually super overthink various like parenting tactics and strategies. But I was really worried about this. He's one of those kids that, you know, some little kids really love babies and are really interested in babies. He is not one of those. Like we'd be like, look at the cute baby. He's like that baby doesn't know how to cover its mouth when it coughs. (laughs) He just, like, did not care about babies. It's not wrong. (laughs) It's not wrong. (laughs) Uh, Didn't care about babies. He never expressed an interest in being a big brother or having siblings. And, you know, telling kids this news is just, it's very developmental at different stages. Like, how a two-year-old's going to react is going to be different than a four-year-old, than a six-year-old, all that stuff. So, I was just really like stressed about it. And I kept putting it off and kept putting it off. And I was like, let's get him settled at his new school and then we'll tell him. And then I'm like, let's get this genetic test back and then we'll tell him. And because I'm pregnant with twins, like it was pretty obvious I was pregnant like earlier than definitely I was with my first pregnancy. So it's like by, you know, 12 weeks, most people could Tell that I was pregnant. By 16 weeks, it was like extremely obvious. And so there was Mm -hmm. one point where we were like out at a picnic and someone's like, Oh, it looks like Asher's going to be a big brother. And I'm like, Shh. Like we hadn't told him. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm like making like signs, like, please be quiet. (laughs) And so I was like, Okay, we have to do this. We have to just tell him. Um, And I was just so worried. And so. Mm Uh, one day at dinner, you know, we were all having dinner together. And we said, Asher, you know, we think that you have really become such a big boy. And we think it's time for you to become a big brother. And he kind of was like a little bit puzzled. And then we're like, and we're having two more babies. And it was really interesting. It was kind of like a light went off in his mind. Mm -hmm. And he was like, realized, like, It was like you could sort of watch the wheels processing in his mind and like how all these things were lurking around. So one really interesting thing was that most people, when we tell them that we're having twins, the biggest reaction is not that we're having another child or that I'm pregnant. It's that we're having twins because that's like the more unusual Mm -hmm. thing. So um, for him, the twins was like no big deal. Like who cares? Like one baby, two babies, like no difference in his mind about that <laughs> at all. <laughs> and then he kind of was like thinking about it, and he was like, and you know, another thing is, of course, is like with four year old, like delayed gratification and like telling them things in the future, they're not always so great about processing that. So we said like we're gonna be having two babies after Christmas. And so he kind mm-hmm. of thought about this and he was like, and then his first comment was, if they're coming after Christmas, that means they're going to miss Christmas and they're going to miss Santa. So we have to be sure we get them presents so they're not left out. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, oh. and I was that just like, mean. my heart like broke open and melted on the floor because <laughs> that was like his first thought was like already like, OK, well, we have to sort of like look out for these babies because they're going to miss Santa. Um, And so from there, it's been really interesting. He's become really excited about the babies. Um, He's actually gotten a lot more interested in other babies. Like, he's now like, okay, babies, this is something I need to know about. And so when we see other babies, he's, like, trying to interact with them and learn about them. He asks a lot of questions. So I think it coincides with, like, some developmental abilities of him sort of being more empathetic. And, like, but it feels like it actually has, like triggered, like, a new level of maturity in him, and he's, like, very excited about this new role as a big brother. So for the moment, it feels, like, very triumphant. He's super excited. Um, When You you guys can have me back on after the babies are born, and I can tell you how many days (laughs) passed until he asked to send them back, (laughs) which I'm sure will happen (laughs) at some point. But for this moment, um, I feel like it actually has allowed him to be a bit more mature and um, sort of like it definitely showed me a side of him that like I was very nervous wasn't there in terms of like empathy and caring and interest in being a big brother
2: I think that's a very great triumph and it's very sweet that he was thinking you know my concern was like is he already doing the math like wait Right now, all the Christmas presents are for me. So does that mean the next year I'm going to have to split this, you know, bounty up by three? But he's thinking right. of making sure that they have Christmas presents. So that's right. that's definitely a triumph. I have a present-related fail, unfortunately. So last week, Naima and I went to Chicago, uh, where her father and I both grew up. Um, and spent thanksgiving with our families and we had a really nice time the uh, night before thanksgiving we went out to dinner it was myself my older sister amisa her son who is five months older than my daughter so they're in the same grade they're very close um despite living across the country from each other um and my father, if I didn't mention him. So my sister, her kid, my kid, my dad. And then my little one's father and her younger brother stopped by toward the end of the meal for a little bit. Had a really nice time at the Medici in Hyde Park, which is one of our favorite restaurants. And my nephew uh, turned seven, November 4th. And I hadn't seen him, of course. So I would brought his present. So he unwrapped it. It's from our favorite toy store in Hyde Park, uh, Toys, etc. Same place I got all my toys growing up. So it was really nice to go in there and pick him out something. And I got him a magic kit because he's a very, you know, creative. And there's a little budding showman in him, you know. And so it's like, okay, great. He'll learn to do magic and he can do magic shows for family. It'd be so cool. And so um, I gave it to him and I said, I hope you like it. And then I said, well, I hope you don't already have it. And in that moment, it hit me. And he looked at me and he said, I do. And I said, do you already have it? Because this is what I gave you for your sixth birthday last year. And he said, it is. And so my sister's like, no, no, I've never seen this. No, no, this isn't it. You know, maybe you got him a magic kit last year, but no, it's not the same thing. I've never seen this toy before. And so I said, do you like magic? He said, not really. And so then I'm putting it together. So my dad's cracking up. He's like, yeah, you've never seen it before because he got it and like put it in a corner somewhere and you bought it again. (laughs) And so we go to their house after dinner and I haven't posted the picture I have a very cute picture of my daughter and my nephew coming down the stairs, and they're each holding the same magic kit, Um, the (laughs) 2019 gift and the 2018 uh, birthday present, and my daughter, for a little extra razzle-dazzle, is wearing the top hat that came in the magic kit, so yes, I did buy my nephew the same gift two years in a row for his birthday and I'm so sorry. So now I have to like be completely over the top for Kwanzaa and come up with something that he's really going to like. And I attempted to re-gift the present to my daughter's little brother when he came to the restaurant because he wasn't having (laughs) a very... He was a little tired. It was a little late. And he was cranky and he didn't really want to hang out with us. I think he just wanted to be with his dad. So I said, oh, David, I didn't see you for your birthday. I got you this. (laughs) And I I tried to give it to him and then um, he, he got in trouble so his dad wouldn't let him have it he was excited at first and then he didn't get to have it so I am the owner of a child's magic kit um, I don't know what I'm gonna do with it maybe I'm gonna just teach myself some tricks
1: <laughs> I'm marking my calendar now for <laughs> December 1st 2020 <laughs> Ask Jamila if her nephew liked the magic.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was so cool looking and there was no sense of deja vu when I purchased it. And now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, it was in the exact same place because it's a very small toy store. They didn't move it. It's Not a new box. They didn't. It wasn't on sale. It's right where I found it last time. I went to the exact same spot and picked it out again. So.
1: That's chumbacasino.com.
3: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void more prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Okay,
2: before we move on, <laughs> let's do some business. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our great parenting content, including Mom and Dad are Fighting, a.k.a. your weekly tally of how much Jamila has messed up at adulthood. Uh, Care and Feeding, our parenting advice column, where Jamila, who messes up at adulthood, then attempts to tell other parents how they can be better at their jobs and so much more. It is also a personal email from Dan every week. Um, It's like your own... BFF in your head is there to tell you how to be a more empathetic and kind parent, And it's Dan qua. (laughs) And
3: it's,
2: (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh, I forget that. So we can see each other and you all can't see us. So the video component that you're missing is very enjoyable for me, but you're not getting it. (laughs) Sorry. But what you can get from us is available at slate.com backslash parenting email. So you too can have Dan staring you down just electronically. Also, you can find us on Facebook. If you want more uh, more Dan intimidation, search Slate Parenting. Maybe he'll let you in the group. Maybe he won't. Um, but it is a very fun community if you can get in. And it's well moderated. So you don't have to worry about anybody making you feel bad if you are among the chosen few that are allowed to participate. Go on Facebook and search Slate Parenting. Also, if you are a Slate Plus member today we're going to be talking about what you should not say to someone like katherine who is expecting twins here is a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have slate plus Plus.
3: one time i was just walking down the street some people stopped say oh what are you do and i said oh february twins and this like very large overweight man was like oh well that explains it and i'm like wow excuse me Aww. Oh, gosh.
2: And I'm like, what a dick. To hear more great segments like that and to get ad-free versions of your favorite Slate podcast, sign up for Slate+. Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program, and it's a great way to support the work that we do here. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And, of course, in return, you get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows, plus a ton of other great benefits. So if you want to support mom and dad are fighting, please, please, please go to Slate.com backslash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. All right. Now it's time for listener questions. This particular question was emailed to us. And if you would like to email us a question for consideration, send it to at slate.com. Today, we've got questions being read by the one and only
0: Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad. I'm writing to ask for any tips you might have about managing my emotions during visits with my family. My parents live on the other side of the country, so we only see them once or twice a year. Last time we went to their house, it went south fast due to their purchase of a new dog the week before and my discovery of a loaded BB gun in the kids' room. We ended up leaving early to stay with relatives nearby, a decision that they still blame on my wife despite my repeated assurances that it was my decision The last time they came to our house, it didn't go much better. The two of them infuriate me for different reasons. My dad, for his hands-off attitude and lack of any attempt to engage with the kids, and my mother, for her poking and prodding, high drama, earned or imagined, and passive-aggressive comments. During a weak moment, with a sick wife and crying kids, I snapped at my parents, and they went home, insulted and enraged. How do I keep my cool around my parents? I've made many suggestions to them over the years, including staying at an Airbnb, visiting for shorter periods of time, giving us some quiet time in the evening, etc. But they are both incredibly resistant to change and blame everything on my stress level. Perhaps a heavy dose of CBD is in order next time they're in town. Well, uh,
2: you're speaking my language, uh, letter writer. Heavy dose of CBD sounds like a very good idea, but I would also recommend pairing it with a little THC, if you know what I mean. Put the drugs in your drugs. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm sorry that you're going through this. I have experienced... Moments like this with my own mother were very close, but we have at times had a, a volatile relationship and can be passive-aggressive and dramatic. And uh, like a working-class version of Dynasty on the south side of Chicago. Um, and my daughter gets all into it. So we, we've learned to control that a bit. Um, I think that having someone stay in an Airbnb, uh, everything that you said... You know, should I do this? You should do, but you should do all of them. So there should be an Airbnb or a hotel. There should be a short visit during the holidays, which is already a stressful time of year on its own without family trouble. Um, There should be some evening time or perhaps morning time that is dedicated to you and your partner and your children being away from your parents. Um, and you may want to use a little CBD or a glass of wine or, or you know, it, it could be something you get from the health food store, but just something that helps to you, uh, address your anxiety. It could be a, a nice cup of lavender tea when you know you're getting ready to go into a, a conversation with your parents. Just because your parents live far away and you only really see them at the holidays doesn't mean that you should subject yourself and your family to a situation that's going to create unhappy memories. We have a a limited amount of time on this planet ourselves, but, you know, more often than not with our parents. And when we watch them become grandparents, they're in a different time in their lives than they were when they were raising us. And and the combination of those things does not always make for happy, seamless times. And perhaps that was the way that you interacted with them, you know, prior to becoming married and, and becoming a parent. But I don't think that you should feel... That this time has to be rich with lots and lots of mom and dad time. Maybe you all do Christmas Eve dinner and brunch on Christmas and that's it. And that's all the time you all need together and that's fine. But but I think it's important that you continue to defend yourself uh, and your wife and that you are reasonable and respectful of your family and, and try to avoid exposing your children to this tension as much as you possibly can, but that this should probably be a pretty short visit. What do you think, Dan?
1: It's hard to recommend that this be a short visit only because the parents live all the way across the country. Like You can't fly them out for Christmas and then be like, all right, see you on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and that's it. Like That's just not practical for most people, as appealing of a solution as that is for parents who do live closer. And I totally agree with you that if the parents are close, I mean, one obvious answer is just like minimize contact more than you're currently doing. But you have this sort of perfect storm, right? Where you don't see the parents very often. So you don't really have that much time to get acclimated to each other. You're not used to each other in close quarters. You're stuck in these close quarters. The visit means a lot to everyone because it only happens once or twice a year. And it can't really be short. It's hard to make it short. Long-time listeners to this podcast will remember that I have had a number of fails that revolve around my inability to keep my cool around my mom, um, who is a wonderful, lovely woman who did a great job raising me, um, but who, for whatever teenage-based reasons, just completely at times gets on my nerves in ways that I'm not proud of at all Mm. and that lead me to just behave like a real fucking asshole, Mm. to a woman who's now 73 and certainly doesn't deserve that shit, Mm. no matter how much she gets on my nerves. And I would like to make the gentle suggestion... That the stuff that you are describing your parents doing when they stay at your house is honestly not that bad. I agree that if, if you go to your parents' house and they just got a new fucking giant dog and didn't tell you and there's a gun in in the kid's room, <laughs> yes, great idea to not replicate that misadventure. Yeah. But if you are bringing your parents to your house for a week, one of the only weeks you're going to see them, I think it is really imperative that you do find a way to calm yourself and not fly off the handle at this stuff you're describing, which to my mind reaches merely reaches a level of annoying and not damaging. It is not damaging that someone just makes passive aggressive comments. It's annoying. Yeah. It is not truly damaging that someone, that your dad doesn't pay as much attention to the kids as you want him to. You know what? That is a problem with many grandpas and grandmas all over the world. You just do your best. Now, it's easy for me to say, you just got to do better. You're writing to us asking, how do I do better? And so uh, I actually, like Jamila, think that weed isn't a terrible idea. You might also consider giving it to your parents. Um, But I also think um, something that has helped me, and this is like a dumb mind trick, but it has helped me at least build a little bit of empathy in moments where I would otherwise be likely to fly off the handle at little tiny things My mom says or does. It really helps me. This is going to sound so stupid when I say it to imagine myself at 73 and my beloved Mm. children sitting at a table with me, rolling their eyes at what a fucking pain in the ass I have become because I know that will happen. I know I will be that guy. I know the little things I do will drive my children insane and all I will want from them at that time is to just keep it together and not tell me how much I annoy them. That is all I will want for that holiday. And so that has been a great help for me in recent years in summoning up all of the patience I can muster and applying it to situations where I must state, my mom is not doing anything wrong, I'm just being rubbed the wrong way Mm -hmm. by her for reasons that are now 40 years old. So that's dumb, it's little, and it might also help you to just be reminded from an outside source. There's way worse shit that these people could be doing in your house. Yeah, um, it's great that they're not doing that. So, do your best to cut them some slack. Catherine, what do you think?
3: So I think a lot of good things have been said so far. I would say the word that I want to like to reverberate around this question is the word is boundaries. So, I think that. Part of what's happening is that there's a lot of pressure on these visits because, you know, across the country, once a year, all that stuff. And so in some ways that just makes everything more tense. But I think, you know, the the letter writer mentions that his parents are resistant to change. But he can take initiative with setting the terms of how the visits are going to go. So I think, obviously, not staying at the parents' house anymore, I think the BB gun is basically like a never-go-back situation in terms of staying there. So the next time you're visiting, you're saying, like, here are the terms of our visit. We are coming for five days, and we're staying with Cousin Nancy. And I also think we don't know the full depth of this relationship, but perhaps there's an opportunity to level with the parents about how past years has not gone well. I think if it's to the point not just where there's like some eye rolls or a few slam doors, but people are leaving early, I think everyone recognizes it hasn't gone well. And that's probably also... A disappointment for them. I mean, I think that they probably, as Dan says, if you think about it, try to be empathetic to their situation, like that they could be devastated by that, or they could be really disappointed about, you know, whether or not they're right or wrong in their assessments. They may be really disappointed that they're flying across the country and it's going so badly that they're leaving early. So is there an opportunity to try to have an honest conversation with them and say, listen, the last couple visits haven't gone well, and we want to Talk to you about some ways that we can make this visit more enjoyable for everyone. And maybe, you know, thinking not just about the things that do that annoy them. I think getting out of the same house is really important. I don't know if it's financially feasible, but is there a neutral place that you all could meet, like, you know, somewhere for the holidays that's neither anyone's houses that, you know, a, a little vacation or something like that? Of course, that might be a lot more expensive and not optimal, but try to center the conversation around like what has gone well in the past. Like maybe you guys all like to go look at Christmas lights or maybe you guys like to watch sports or whatever it is and say like, these are the moments that we've enjoyed. So like, let's structure the vacation around doing more of those and take away some of the the, the pain points. So, I you know, I can't say how that conversation is going to go, but I think that an acknowledgement um, and trying to have an honest conversation before you're all in the same house, just replicating the same situation over and over and over again could be really helpful in trying to basically just like level with them like adults about how to make it better in the future.
2: That's all really great. And and talking about what's happened in the past is something that it does sound like this family really needs to do um, to grapple with what um, transpired the last few times that they were together and how that made everyone feel. So this next visit can be more positive. And um, before I toss it back to you, Dan, but I have one small caveat. I think I may have assumed that, I mean, obviously the BB gun, that's quite bad. Having people leave early is bad. Um, I w- i think I may have interpreted um, the behavior of the parents being a little bit worse than it may have been. And when I was listening to Dan talk and, and how so much it sounds like my own experiences with my 71-year-old mom and and putting yourself in your mother's shoes is really, or in your parents' shoes, is incredibly helpful. And it's something that has saved our relationship. But if you're just talking about run-of-the-mill elder passive aggression. Yeah, that's what parents do, But You got to suck that up a little bit, especially if they only live across the... <laughs> they live all the way on the other side of the country. I'm like, wait, they just got on your nerves? That's what they do. I thought this was like really bad. <laughs> Dan, you wanted to say something? And it
1: may be, and it may be that this letter writer was sort of loath to put into, into words the things that are truly bad or abusive about it. Yeah. And, and in that case, that's different advice, right? That's right. a different situation. But Catherine, I think you're really, really right about this being an opportunity to Talk in a non judgmental way about some of these past events yep. um, and think about them because, of course, the parents feel just as upset and worried about this as this letter writer does, right? I think that that's really good advice. There's one other tiny little piece of advice that I would give, um, which is that one of the things you might consider planning for this holiday season is fill as much of the time as you can, maybe a couple of hours each day if possible with things that your parents can take your kids out to do. Obviously, it's great to see your parents in general. Sometimes it's terrible because you get on each other's nerves. But, you know, obviously one idea of the visit is that they're seeing you. But the real reason for these visits is for grandparents to connect with grandkids. That is what you as the parents and honestly probably them as the grandparents most want out of this event. So create and construct times in which they can do those things together and you don't even have to fucking be there. Yes. You can be at home while they take the kids to see Frozen 2, while they Mm -hmm. go to a museum, while they take them out to dinner or take them to get their nails done or whatever. Like there are very simple things that your parents can do with your kids as long as you trust them out in the world with them, which hopefully is the case, that both – accomplish what you truly want out of this visit and take some of the pressure off the like 24 seven nature of them being in the house with you. So make a bunch of plans for that. That will really help.
3: That's such a good idea. Yeah, definitely. And
2: that made me think the idea of being on neutral territory could also be going to an Airbnb together. You know, like if you all rent a house for the week, as opposed to in your home, I don't know. I just feel like you can retreat to spaces that may be kind of exciting or interesting to be in. So just having a little time to yourself in someone else's bedroom as opposed to, you know, being in your own space where you may feel trapped or, you know, like it's tight anyway, even when your parents aren't there. I think there's something to just getting out of your environment or not having that kind of tension or complicated energy in your own home. So, happy holidays, letter writer. Hope things work out for you. Uh, it is only once or twice a year. And for this. all of us. And for all parents. of us with our parents. <laughs> yes, amen, and shay. We received that letter via email. And if you would like to receive some advice from us, you can also send us an email at momanddaditslate.com. Okay, so our second question didn't come in via email. This is from the Facebook group. And it sparked a lot of conversation there. And so we decided to bring it over here.
0: Dear mom and dad are fighting, the parents of three kids in our neighborhood went to Aruba for a week and left their 16-year-old daughter in charge of their 12- and 9-year-old. This is the second time they've done this. I offered to help watch the young ones after school a few times, but I'm worried about safety. Should I call the police? For context, I work in a school, so I'm a mandatory reporter. If I saw this happening to a child at work, I'd have to report the parents.
1: Okay. Uh, This question did spark a lot of conversation on the Facebook group, and I will start off our conversation with the exact same thing I posted in that Facebook group, which is you should not call the police. Do not call the police under this circumstance. (laughs) Uh, In general, you should really limit the number of circumstances under which you might call the police. I know that that's tricky when you're a mandatory reporter, but nonetheless, this is not a circumstance for calling the police. I also think that even if you think that 16 is too young to take care of these children which i don't necessarily i still think there's an argument to be made for not calling the police yeah. which is almost certainly going to not make this situation better in any way for anyone involved in at it. all so that's the first part of this and i'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about that but let's move Before that, to the second part of this question, which is the larger question, which is, is it okay in the grander, not do I call the police sense, but the is this good parenting sense, to go to Aruba for a week and leave your 16 year old in charge of a 12 and nine year old? And my inclination is to say that it very well could be that there were circumstances when I was 16 and taking care of myself for long periods of time. Where I was totally fine. There are plenty of 16-year-olds out in the world who have their own children and take care of them just fine all the time. And that to like judge from the outside without any evidence that like things are going awry or the house is on a fire or the kids are walking around without pants or something, that this is negligent is I think putting too much stock in your understanding of how a family should be and not in this family's actual experience. I think it does not seem completely bananas to think that a 16-year-old could take care of these kids. Now, I'll say that often when these things come up, it's because a parent has to work or a parent – Uh, is in jail or has some kind of other possibly socioeconomically derived problem that forces a 16-year-old into the situation. Mm -hmm. Not that the parents went to Aruba, (laughs) but I mean, good for them. Jamila, what do you think?
2: I did go and read some of the Facebook discussion about this. And, and you raised, as did other folks, a really good point that there are 16-year-olds who are parents and, and parent effectively and, and do so every day. There are also a lot of 16-year-olds who are primary caregivers to children for a number of other reasons. Like you said, somebody could be incarcerated. Parents at work overnight. And so the little one, you know, the medium one goes and picks up the little one from school and the big one's cooking dinner. No, you don't need to call the fucking police. Are you serious? No, please don't. Please, please please, please, that is a trigger that you pull. And I'm, I'm, you know, double entendre, I suppose, only when absolutely necessary. And so unless you feel that there's a particular danger that this child has invited into the home, maybe they've had some other people coming in and out. I also would hope that if you felt comfortable enough to intervene in this way, that you would have contact info for those parents. I'd also would hope that while they're in Aruba, that they are accessible and that they would have a direct line from the adult that is physically closest to their child while they're gone. So if there was something that you saw that raised the red flag, you should be able to reach the parents or you should you know, hopefully be in a position to say something to the kid like, hey, I noticed you've been ordering pizza. How about we coordinate that so you don't have a stranger coming to your house when there's no one else there, you know, or even talking to the parents about that. Like, okay, I see, you know, the teenage daughters using Seamless and Grubhub. Would you be cool with maybe directing delivery to me and I could just walk the food over so that way you don't have to worry about somebody casing the joint and noticing that you all are off, sun tanning your perineum somewhere while your big kid is raising your small children. <laughs> now, as, as Dan so uh, eloquently laid it out, the other question that we have is, is this good parenting? Is it for you, Facebook friend of the show and, and Slate Parenting, to say that this is good parenting in that home? I agree with Dan. We don't know what goes on in their home. So we can only hope for the best. Keep an eye out. Be prepared to offer support if needed. As for me and my home... I'm filing this under White Folks Madness just like the time Dan said it was okay to let your kid backpack (laughs) through Europe without a cell phone or whatever what was some cool group or something I don't know I just remember thinking like yep not nope 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 not for me and not for my and it's so funny because I have a couple of girlfriends who listen to the show hi Patricia hi Carmen there's another sister whose name is Casey who've reached out on separate occasions to be like I'm so glad that you're there because there are moments where there's some permissiveness that culturally as black women we're like nope 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 you know um so uh, if you think of black motherhood as being different from the ways that other cultures parent don't think of it as being uh the screaming spanking uh Prison warden like depictions you see in the media, but do if you take anything from us and how we love and nurture, please take our sense of caution and good sense. Being risk adverse is not always the worst thing to be. I cannot fathom raising, no matter how mature and responsible my children are, and if I become a a parent of multiple people at some point I I hope that I can say that of them I I think the one I have right now is doing pretty okay for six I I can't think of a 16 year old that I would feel comfortable I've known phenomenal 16 year olds I was just okay at 16 but I've never met a 16 year old that I would want to leave with uh, a 12 and a 9 year old so that I could go to Aruba you know if this were a matter of grandma's sick something has happened you know I have to be gone for a night or I have to go to work and I need you to stay here That's one thing. But to go off and do that to me just seems anything could happen at any time. Your kid's school could get shot up and you're gone and you're in Aruba and there's nobody there to support them through that. They could witness a car accident on the way home. You know what I mean? It just seems like you're inviting things that are not the norm, that don't happen every day, but you're inviting the potential for your children to be in need of real adult support that they don't have. And so I think it's great to take vacations. I think it's great to be away from your children. But I think that's a lot of pressure for a 16-year-old to have to deal with. And I think that the two younger children, maybe you feel comfortable leaving a 16-year-old for a week. Um, but but those two little ones, I think, really need to have a grown-up grown-up who is present because this isn't a 16-year-old parent. It'd be one thing if you had a relative who was a 16-year-old parent, right, who's used to caring for children alone. And you said, can you come watch these kids for a week? Or, you know, the, but, but the, a 16-year-old parent is not the same as the 16-year-old who has two full-time parents who live in the house in terms of maturity and and what they're used to having to deal with. That's just how I feel about it. Catherine. what do you think?
3: So one really interesting thing that's coming up in this conversation and that I noticed on the Facebook page as well is how we view the context of the parents going to Aruba. That the sense that they're going on a vacation is somehow placing the children in more danger than if they were called away for a family emergency. So, but I, and I think that actually speaks to how we judge other parents. And there's actually some really interesting studies that. Um, They, like, ask people to judge whether or not it's safe to leave a kid in the car for a certain amount of time. And people, for example, judge mothers much more harshly for doing that than fathers. The reason they're doing it as being more or less dangerous. So the reason that they're leaving doesn't actually influence, like, whether or not the kids are in danger. Like, the amount of danger is basically the same. Um, but it definitely informs like how we judge them as parents. So I think that's something to like think about a little bit. I mean, I just feel even if this was at their school, this would not be something that required mandatory reporting. Um, we don't know who's checking up on these kids. We don't know what kind of local contacts they have. Maybe that's not a choice that some of us would make. But the concern about this, I think, also just speaks to where we are as a helicopter parenting, hypervigilant culture. I think that this, this wouldn't even be like something that people batted an eyelash at in the 1970s, I would say, probably. Um, so I think that the the concern around this, I think, is much more about how we judge parents than actual danger and risk. That's
1: interesting. Those studies that you're referring to Catherine are really interesting. I remember that uh, people judge parents significantly more harshly if they're told that they are leaving a kid in a car to go to a doctor's appointment than they do if they're leaving a kid in a car to go shopping than they do if they're leaving a kid in a car to go uh, like have an affair. The scale of how people get judged, as you say, has everything to do with our beliefs about what the responsibilities of parents are. And I think it's very tied up with this very human notion that we judge behavior based on how would we feel if the worst thing happened? Mm -hmm. Would you be able to live with yourself if the worst thing happened when you're thinking of the ways that you're doing Mm -hmm. it, right? There's this vision of the future we have in which we see something terrible happening to those kids. And the parents coming home from Aruba and feeling just awful about what they'd done in a way that they wouldn't feel if they were taking care of a sick relative exactly. or at work and they were, you know, quote unquote, forced into this scenario. Right. And that does really impact how we judge people and consider these situations. All that is true. And I also, as I said, feel like you should not judge this family or make assumptions about this family and how it's working. All that is true. And I can also say I would also never go to Aruba and leave, you know, Lyra at 16 and Harper at 14 home by themselves, because that reaches the level to me where I also would not be able to live with myself if something really shitty happened. Yeah. And I don't know why exactly, why that like guilt crops up in a way it didn't with, for example, the kid going overseas, where I viewed that as. Even though there are, like, measurably greater risks potentially, I just thought that was worth it, and it didn't yeah. bother me even a tiny bit. But one thing that I, I would like to point out, and I, I hope this Facebook – I mean, this was a week ago, so hopefully this, these people are back from Aruba and the kids are fine. But I hope this Facebook poster bears in mind is this is the second time they've done this. So, like, the first time it went okay, Right. I mean, seemed like it didn't cause the kids to hate the parents or anything to go wrong or the house to burn down then. So, like, there's evidence that maybe this is, in fact, empirically totally fine. But, Catherine, would you ever do this?
3: I mean, right now I'm thinking about newborns. So I just, like, it can't, it's, like, hard for me to imagine even having teenagers who can, like, be at home by themselves. Um, I don't know. By that point, you know, I'm going to have three kids and I'm going to want to go to Aruba. So who knows what I'll be thinking by the time my oldest is yeah. 16. That's very true. <laughs> so we, we could have an 18-year-old and 14-year-olds. Like, you know, what could go wrong with one 18-year-old and then two 14-year-olds? <laughs> like, obviously, that's just...
1: Sounds golden. Yeah, it
3: sounds like party at our house. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a
2: very fun party. Well, Facebook friend, I, I just hope that you're, uh, I don't want to say that you, you hopped to the police thing, but that thing in you that said, maybe, you know, should I call the police? I, I hope that that is simply tied to you being a mandated reporter. And I've been one before and it's stressful and I understand, but that that isn't your approach to your neighbors in general, because <laughs> that could take a whole lot of twists and turns. And, um. Yeah, you haven't seen any smoke coming out of the house. You haven't seen any teenage boys riding up on motorcycles with leather jackets looking like a young Jason Priestley or Luke Perry. I think you'll be fine. I think they'll be fine and, and that the parents are incredibly selfish. But whatever, it's cool. Do whatever you want. Um, thank you for uh, sharing your conundrum. And if you want us to discuss your parenting questions in a public forum you can share it on the facebook group as well go to uh, facebook and search slate parenting just be prepared for a whole lot of feedback perhaps more feedback than you may want and the possibility that we'll read the question on the show um which i think has typically been a pretty positive experience for folks who've shared their inner feelings about parenting with us their deepest insecurities, we just put it on our podcast. And if you want to make it more likely that we take your question and read it to our thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners across the world, send us an email at com. Before we get out of here, we're going to make some recommendations. So Catherine, what do you have for us? What are you recommending this week?
3: I would like to revive a recommendation from the wonderful Gabriel Roth who I believe I co-hosted with him a couple years ago and he made a recommendation for Shrinky Dinks. Ah. So for those who do not know, Shrinky Dinks are these little plastic things, you color them in, you put them in the oven, you watch them shrink and I think when he recommended them, his kids were around my son's age, like preschool age. And I tried them for my son when my son was like two or two and a half. And it was okay, but like he, he wasn't so into it. We recently did them with some friends over Thanksgiving, and they were just like a huge hit. They are so good for the preschool, probably preschool to, you know, very early elementary set. And this is just like, you know, I think a lot of us are staring down really long school holidays coming up where um, there's going to be bad weather. There's going to be things, you know, days where we don't have a lot planned. This is just like a really great craft activity. I'm not one of these people that like, you know, wants to get out the 17 step craft projects. Like this is just super easy. Basically any kid who can hold a pencil can do it. Um, And I just think like shrinking inks can just help a lot of parents get through Those two-and-a-half-week-long school breaks. Cool.
2: That's a great
1: recommendation, Gabe. We miss you. Uh, Shrinking Dinks really are perfect for when you're just like, I have got to find a way to kill an hour and a half. Yeah. They're a perfect hour-and-a-half time killer. Yeah. I'm recommending today a book for adults, not for kids. It is called That Was Awkward. It is by the New Yorker cartoonist Emily Flake. It's a very simple book. It is a taxonomy of awkward hugs. Very, very funny. Uh, It just goes through every kind of awkward hug you could ever have with anyone, with family members, with ex-romantic partners, with people at work. Um, when Jamila and I met in Miami, we avoided the awkward hug because Jamila made the very smart move to be wearing a swimsuit when <laughs> we first ran into <laughs> each other. So there was like, no, we were obviously we're not going to do any kind of hug. It was perfect. It was an ace move, Jamila. I, I, I think uh, I it's the a very, only very very person at book. the
2: Miami Book Fair who actually wore a bathing suit at any point, and I wore I it for that. most of the, you the book you, fair. That is you Miami. Took best better life. advantage
1: of that environment than anyone else. <laughs> uh, it's by Emily Flake. It's called That Was Awkward. Get it as a gift for whoever the last person is that you tried to air kiss, but then you misjudged which side to start on and you bonked your foreheads against each other. It's great. I, Jamila, what about you?
2: I love that. I could That whole book could just be made of interactions that I've had in the past like six months. Um, so this week, I am recommending Matching Outfits with Your Kids. And Aww. my daughter, Naima, is six and a half I'll admit I didn't do it from like day one I think she was about a year old and there were times like I'd coordinate like oh you have a pink one I have a pink then one day I was like wait I have a mini me I have an actual mini me this is great I I will only have a limited amount of time to decide what she looks like every single day why don't we look the same Um, but now that you know she's old enough to participate in picking out her clothes and is taking um, a, a greater interest in doing that she still enjoys dressing alike and I'll say do you want to match today or do you want to do your own thing? sometimes she'll say, oh, I want to do my own thing. But more often than that, when I say it, you know, she'll say, yeah, let's match. And we have things that like actually match. Like we have these matching cool furry boots because we saw another mother and daughter wearing them and looked at each other. And it was literally like we had felt threatened. Like, oh, no, they did not come in here with these cute furry boots. Why don't we have these cute furry boots? No one said it, but we thought it. And like within a month, we've got the furry boots. And we're not biters like that, but they're very cute, so we needed them. And when we travel, we may wear, you know, coordinated sweatsuits or whatever. And then, like, when we go to folks' houses for the holiday, I don't know. It's just our thing. And, of course, this time of year, especially those of you all that are in larger families, there's the matching Christmas pajamas and ugly sweaters and Hanukkah gear and kufis and dashikis in the same print for Kwanzaa and all that stuff. And it's just so cute and sweet and fun. And I know... That at some point, probably sooner than I would imagine, my daughter is going to be too cool, too independent, too grown to do this with me. So if your child is still small enough for this simple joy that you can get in wearing matching outfits and being that corny and lame, I encourage you to take advantage of it because it is really a lot of fun.
1: I love it. That's such a great recommendation.
2: Thank you. And thank you for joining us, Catherine. That is our show for the week. Um, if you have a question that you'd like to hear on air, leave us a message, old school style at 424-255-7833, or send us an email at slate.com, Or, of course, join us on Facebook by searching for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Dan Coist and Catherine Goldstein, I'm Jamila Lemieux.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here.
3: We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.